you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Hey, we're right in the beginning of a new series called Gear Up. Everybody say Gear Up. Gear Up. And this is not one of those series that is like super sexy that everybody's like bringing all their friends to. In fact, I think this is one that many might dismiss because we're unpacking what the Bible says about the armor of God. And for some of you, if you're new to church or faith, that might be a new phrase for you. And or maybe you're here and you're not sure what it is you believe. Can I just give you permission to belong before you believe? But I do want to tell you there's something profound about this passage of Scripture. My wife preached last week, kicking the whole series off, and talked about the belt of truth and, and really about the enemy's plans for our lives. And here's the thing. Whether you believe this or not, there is a God in heaven who loves you and has given you a purpose. And we exist to help you find it. But as much as there is a God who's for you, there's an enemy who's against you. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, your spouse, whatever. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now you're awake. There's an enemy. Who the Bible says is really out to destroy you. In fact, the Bible says it like he's a, a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Not nibble on, snack on. A lot of times we think of the devil and the red spandex and the pitchfork. Like the angel and the devil on our shoulder. It's a cute little. <laughs> in fact, in this room, the pendulum probably swings in one of two directions when it comes to the idea of the devil. And what some in here may not say, ah, it's kind of malarkey, hokey pokey. I don't know if I actually believe in that business. And then there might be another side that would just over-spiritualize everything and see demons in their frosted flakes and demon in the traffic. And are you tracking with me? But we can't dismiss the fact that there really is an enemy. In fact, I believe if we ignore the spiritual reality behind the physical battles that we face, then the enemy will run rampant and do damage under the surface. Hey, look at me now. We're fighting a spiritual battle right now. And you get that because everything in your life is designed for that very reason. Your body fights battles. When a sickness or illness comes in, your body goes into overdrive to fight off disease. You were created in that way. We fight emotional battles all the time. When we, when we face, face rejection, rejection and hurt and pain and discouragement, I mean, there's a, not too long ago, a few years back, I struggled deeply with depression and anxiety. That's an emotional battle. 24 weeks of therapy and prayer. And man, I can tell you right now, I don't struggle with that anymore, but I have to fight that emotional battle all the time. And just like that, there's a spiritual battle. Whether you want to believe it or not, and Paul actually writes to us and says, here's how to fight this battle. And he uses the metaphor of a Roman soldier's gear. So we thought we'd take this and kind of twist it into more modern time and say, gear up. But look at this passage. I just want to read this real quickly. Got some exciting things for you today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6. The writer is Paul, and he's writing to believers. So if you're here and you're not sure what you believe, again, permission to belong before you believe. But look at this passage, and I want to key in on three words in this passage. Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 10 
through 11. And verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, it's God's strength that fights the battle. And look at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God. I want to focus right there for a moment on that word whole. So Paul's going to line out six or seven items that make up the armor of God. And so he's saying we can't just choose a couple of these things to make a part of our life. We need the whole armor of God to fight the spiritual battles that we're facing. But look at this next verse. It says that you may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. Stand. Notice Paul doesn't say storm the gates of hell. You're made to be demon slayers, brother. Nobody? Come on. He's not saying storm the gates of hell. Wait a minute, Pastor Kerry. Isn't there a passage of scripture that says that Jesus will establish the church against which the gates of hell shall not prevail? Yes, there is a passage that says that, but Jesus never instructs us to storm the gates of hell. Right here he's saying, just stand. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't quit. You ever felt like quitting? Obviously, Paul knew we would struggle with this. But what about that whole gates of hell thing, Pastor Kerry? Well, what you may not know is in biblical times, the gates represented the places where the leaders and the government and the city officials would gather and they would plot and strategize and plan for the city. So what Paul is saying is the schemes of the enemy, the plans of the enemy won't work if we'll just stand in the armor of God. Hey, look at me. That word scheme means that the enemy has a playbook on your life. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. And I think this is why so many struggle to come into church because when we get around something that has kind of a God center to it, what also happens is the enemy knows our past and our struggles and our issues. And so immediately we look through the filter of our past and now I feel guilt and shame instead of the hope and grace that God wants. Why? Because the enemy knows the schemes for your life. Are you tracking with me today? So, so before I get all Pentecostal in here, the enemy has a playbook on your life. Now, we don't have to be afraid and freaked out. Like, oh, my gosh. Because the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So God has given us the tools that we need to fight this battle. Last week, Megan talked about the belt of truth, which is knowing the truth of God's word. It is the foundation. And in the armor, the belt is what holds everything together. If you didn't hear the sermon, get on our website, listen to the podcast if you need it. Today, we're moving on to the next portion. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Again, Paul comes back and he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, here it is again, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Look at this. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and, look at this, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, or the Kevlar vest of righteousness. Everybody say, breastplate of righteousness. And I want to dive into what righteousness looks like from a biblical perspective. But I actually 
in the process of this thought, man, I've got a friend who could tell a story that's pretty life-changing about how a breastplate actually saved his life. He's a friend of mine who goes here to this church, and he really is a national hero, and, and he's been through a lot of combat. He's in the Marines for quite a long time and has seen a lot of challenges, and so these topics are challenging for him to discuss. But I said, would you just be willing to share for a moment what you walked through? And so would you do me a favor? Would you please welcome to the stage my friend, Nate Nelson. Would you please come on, give it up for this guy. I love it. Thank you. He does not like much attention, so... No, it's great. Thank you. So we, we definitely had to strike the first service podcast from the record. So hopefully we get this PG rated today. Yep, I think I got it. My friend Nate and uh, Nate and Anna have been with us at this church for a couple years. His wife is the beautiful blonde that sings on our worship team. Yes, she is. <laughs> He's a man of many words, as you can tell. Yes. So, Nate, you, how long have you been in the Marines, or were you in the Marines? I was in the Marines for 11 years and six months. Six, he has to ask permission yes, to give the answer. I'm, I have a horrible memory, so any time I look at Anna, that's for reference on dates and years. So, tell, tell real quickly about when and why you enlisted. It happened in a matter of about 10 minutes. I, I was about to flunk out of college. My parents set aside $40,000 for me to go to school. I blew through $40,000 in three semesters on drugs and Taco Bell. Nathaniel, if you've never heard that, surprise, say no to drugs. Um, and my girlfriend at the time did the silent breakup thing with me where I thought we were still going out, but she had started dating other people. So, is this your current wife? It is. Went to throw her under the bus yeah. on yeah. Sunday morning. So, thank Good. you for that. She's the reason I joined the Marine Corps. Um, so, I just went into the recruiting station, and next thing I know, I'm in boot camp. 9 11 happens, and then staged in Kuwait, right outside of Iraq, 2003. This was right in the beginning of what was that strike called? I forget. Or before, rather, right? Yeah, it was the initial invasion into Iraq. So they sent you guys in first, right? Yep. And so it was un uncharted territory for some stuff that a we lot were of a lot of false confidence going around for the Marines. If if any Marines are out there, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people acting like they're crazy, but they're really scared inside. Wow. So you saw a lot of uh, combat, a lot of challenges, and so I just asked for you to share just one story today in particular. Would you mind just kind of diving into that? Okay, we were on a presence patrol, which was a show of force patrol. Basically, we were a decoy for the enemy while the sniper team set in a hide. And so our mission was just to patrol down the street. We were in Baghdad. We were operating in a sniper area. And so we were on patrol and I was in the middle. Both sides of the road were lined with, with Marines. There were seven of us. And I heard the first shot, and before I had time to react, I heard another shot. And I had no idea what had happened. I just knew that I was laying on the ground, staring up at the sky. Um, and within probably 45 seconds or so, 
We had a react force. The whole time I was on the ground, I was hoping that, you know, my mind was racing. Have I moved too much? Am I going to get shot again? Um, can everybody do a crunch right now in their chair? Okay, that's what it's like when you're waiting for somebody to shoot you again. So that's just the feeling that I was feeling. And probably 45 seconds later, our reaction force got there and they drugged me off the street by my flak, which is a piece of gear. Uh, they got me to a covered position. And should I just roll right into it? Go ahead. Okay. And basically, once I got to the covered position, I realized that my left side was basically on fire. So I, I, pr I was pretty sure I was shot. And so I opened up my flak jacket, which this is great gear, by the way, to sidetrack. If, if we still had this gear, I would still be in the Marine Corps. So. I got a much bigger laugh. Yeah, there is more Marines yeah, in the think. I'm sorry. Bad wake joke. up earlier. Okay, so, okay. so I opened it up and looked at the plate. So the plate, the round, and I noticed the round was mushroomed out a little bit, and a piece was actually sticking through the inside of the plate right here. And it actually made a small abrasion on my, my chest right there. But the impact on, of the plates, all it had done was just basically broken my ribs. Um, but it stopped the round, which would have basically tore me to pieces. So. so if you hadn't been wearing your vest, what would have taken place? It would have gone straight through. Without the vest at all, it would have gone straight through and hit a vital organ, um, either heart or lungs or something like that. And so when this went down, you, it, was a, it was a squad. It was a, I forget you said. Seven-man team. Seven-man team. Yep. How many snipers? Three snipers. Three Syrian snipers, right? Syrian snipers, yeah. So seven-man team goes in, and of the seven-man team, how, how many made it out? Me. Wow. So we're talking about life and death because of a vest, right? And great training and his good looks as well. But life and death because of a vest, which I think you would probably say, and Anna and all five of your children, we're praying for more children, by the way. No, we're not. We're stop, stop that. Should I disclose? No, no don't, don't do that. that. All of that would, I mean, you wouldn't be here. Right. Four, four kids wouldn't be here if right. it wasn't for this vest. Right. Wow. Hey, can we give it up for Nate? Come on. It's a, it's a crazy and a compelling story, isn't it? And this is just one of... Of, of countless stories that, that Nate could sit down with you, and I played golf with him. He's also a scratch golfer by chance. Uh, yeah, may have a man crush on Nate just a little bit, but more and more stories come out. But think about this. I mean, his life was literally saved because of a vest. And this is the same equation that Paul relates us to fighting spiritual battles. When Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness, if this hadn't been on, the first organ that had probably or would have probably been hit for Nate was the heart. And that's why Paul is saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because it guards our heart. And this is the lifeblood. This is the most vital organ that we have. In fact, Proverbs would echo this in chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, above everything that you or I can do, the greatest priority that we have is to guard our heart. Look at that. Because everything that I do flows from it. So Paul is saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Well, it literally means justice or the quality of being upright. 
The quality of being upright. Okay, so Megan last week talked about the belt of truth, which affirms God's standards for our lives. So the belt of truth is the word of God, which shows us what God's standards are, his standards for our lives. But the breastplate of righteousness aligns my life with his standards. And this is contrary to the culture that we live in because we like to align our life with the standards that seem to suit us best in the moment. But the putting on the breastplate of righteousness, Paul is saying, no way it's time to align your life, your steps, your walk with what God has for you. I love what Ephesians chapter 4 says in the message translation. It says, in light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master. So Paul is writing from a jail cell. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. Now he doesn't just stop there. He say, run it. Run the race. You choose. Run wherever you want to run. Go where you want to go. As fast or slow, you just do what you, you do you. You do you. This is not what Paul is saying. He says, run or walk. Better yet, run and then what does he say on the road God called you to travel there's a major difference my friends between knowing the truth and walking in it we can know the truth there's a lot of people who know what the word of God says but then choose to walk or align their path with someone or something else four years ago my wife and I went to South Africa to the little nation of Swaziland to pick out a care point where we were going to help feed children. We now feed about 130 children, I think maybe 120 children, actually no, 400 children every day. We have 120 that are adopted from people here in this facility, or sponsored rather. So four years ago, we went to go find this care point, and while we were there, we had the great opportunity of going on a safari. I mean, of course, we have an opportunity, I mean, I'm doing a safari. We went to this little small, what they consider small, private safari, just a small 900 square miles. And one of the guides who actually drove us around was considered to be the top dog when it came to working with big cats. In fact, he worked for Kruger National Park for 10 years. And it was amazing. He had story after story after story. I was taking notes the whole time. And took us kind of off the beaten path and got to go down and see the hippos, the elephants, the giraffe, the lions. He was building an enclosure for leopards to acclimate them to that facility, it was just amazing. And then we pulled up to a stop, and our guide, I forget his name, he's an Afrikaan, and so he's like seven and a half feet tall, shoulders as wide as this stage, just a big, like looks like Shrek, but not green. It was amazing, big dude. If you laugh a little louder, I'll preach a little faster and get you to your Memorial Day celebrations. And he pulls over to the side, he's like, hey, Brute. That's exactly how he sounds, but deeper voice. You wanna go on a walkabout? He's like, I don't know what that is, but yes. He said, we get out of the truck and we walk about. Heck yeah, I want to do this thing. So he pulls over and all six of us get out the back and he reaches on the dashboard. Key story, key part of the story. Pulls out a 50 caliber rifle, puts it on his arm. Can I get an amen from some people? And then he just sets off. Really short khaki shorts, boots, and a gun. He did have a shirt on, so that's important. Guys, that was way funny. And he sets off and starts blazing the trail. And we all followed suit. Now, we could have chosen in that moment not to align ourselves with the trail he was blazing for us. But that would have been stupid. Because he knows the terrain. Like the back of his hand. 
He actually lives in the safari park. And he knows the feeding times of all the predators, which there were major predators in the safari park. And let's not forget the most important part, the 50 caliber rifle on his shoulder. And yet so many of us live our life knowing the truth of God's word for us, but not aligning our life with the trail that he has blazed for us. And let me just tell you this. When I don't align my life with his truth, not just know the truth, but align, walk the walk and take the steps. When I don't align my life with his truth, I roll out the welcome mat and open the door for the enemy to come in and do whatever he wants to do in my life. I'm telling you, he is waiting and ready. We've got to get this one right. We've got to make sure that we take up the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because it protects our heart. And this word righteousness, it's mentioned in the scripture over and over again. And if we're not careful, we can actually miss what, what God's trying to say to us because it's kind of a complex subject. So today I want to talk about four types of righteousness. If you're taking notes, this is a great time to do so. Four types of righteousness that the Bible talks about. And what I won't be able to do is unpack every reference that pertains to this. So just trust me. If you have any questions, you can email me at I don't care at the OC movement. I'm kidding. Doc, I was talking about the first, that was a little better laughter. Let's talk about the first type of righteousness that we find in the scriptures. Number one is called perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. God is perfect. And he sets the standard. His standard is perfection. Jesus, as he walked this earth, lived a perfect life. And a standard of perfection has been set. But my friends, may I just tell you and, and inform you that this is an impossible standard for you or I to reach, which can seem frustrating. If you were to close your eyes and picture the most holy and righteous person in this room today, they would still fall short of perfection. Romans says that everyone has sinned. All of us have. And we fall short of God's glorious standard, that righteousness. So when Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, some of us picture this, referring to God's perfection. And the problem is many of us have made perfection the goal. We can never live up to it. We can never attain it. You know who you are. You've made a life of always following the rules and doing exactly what you're supposed to do because not just because it's right, but because you're just striving so hard to be perfect. But the problem is it's a standard, it's a mark that can never be experienced. So we live a life constantly feeling exhausted or as if this is unattainable and God, what am I? supposed to even do I think even worse yet we begin to bend God's standards to our own asking him to grade our life on a curve lowering his standards to standards that we think are more important and we think we're doing right but we've just changed the narrative hey listen Making perfection a goal can be as damaging and addicting as substance abuse. We see people living this life over and over, and it leads to complete exhaustion and frustration. Or limiting and lowering the standard to what it is that we want. Let's look at another type of righteousness that we find in the scriptures. It's in 2 Kings. We see 
uh, so many great stories with Saul and David, but it's called comparative righteousness, comparative righteousness. And all too often what we'll use is comparison to determine whether or not I am in right standing with God. Listen, in our social media digital age, this has become the norm. We look at everyone else's highlight reel and then judge our life accordingly. Nobody posts the crappy days on Facebook. Nobody posts a picture of a selfie right after they rolled out of bed with their hair like this and demons coming out of their breath. Right. It's always like perfect angle and up from here, right? No one's ever like, let me just get this picture right here. Our photography team is always like three feet down and Megan are always like, hey. And yet we'll judge our righteousness, that hurt my neck, we'll judge our righteousness based on what we see in other people as if, and here's the challenging and scary part, I think somewhere deep inside we think God is doing that. Seeing how this person lives their life, good or bad or indifferent, and then, well, God's probably comparing the two of us. I hear this all the time in counseling environments. It's so funny to me. And I, I've only been doing ministry now for about 19 years. But I've heard almost every story you can hear. And people literally are so terrified that I'm going to know the junk in their life. I don't want you to think badly. I already do. Before we sat down. No, I'm kidding. They're so terrified of it. And so they'll share what it is that they're walking through. Whatever it is. Insert. Fill in the blank. I mean, guys, I've given my life for this. That's, I will always love people through. But to relieve the pressure after they share what it is they're walking through, they'll often say, well, I'm, just a little, I'm, I'm not as bad off as my sister, or I'm not like my parents were. As if my standard of righteousness is dictated by somebody else. And this might be comforting for a moment, but my friends, it is only momentary. Because if I find myself or believe that I'm successful or righteous based upon someone else's shortcomings, the day is coming when somebody else will appear better, stronger, faster than me, and it will contribute to my demise. Comparative righteousness. And the kicker is that when we do this, we're actually taking the focus off of who God is and putting it on people. A standard other than what God has set. Remember, the breastplate of righteousness is aligning my life with his standards. So perfect righteousness can be discouraging because we have no hope of ever reaching it on our own. And comparative righteousness is deceiving because it's a measurement against inaccurate standards. So Paul, what, what are you trying to tell me, dude? How do I put on this if I'm supposed to stand? With the breastplate of righteousness, I feel there's no win. And I want to submit to you a third type of righteousness called imputed righteousness. And this can be summarized in one word, and that word is the cross. You see, when Jesus lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death, he took your penalty in mind, the payment for my sin and yours. He took it. We no longer owed a penalty for sin. And look, if you're new to church, you're like, wait, I don't understand. Yes, you do. If you speed past a police officer, you will get a ticket. There's a punishment for the crime. Are you with me? When we were born with sin in us, there is a punishment for that. But Jesus took the 
penalty, look at me, not for one person, not just for some people, not for people who seem holy or righteous or good or kind or compassionate, but for any who would simply believe. Not, not for any who get their life in order and perfect first, but just to believe. And not even like a massive measure of faith, like, like mountain moving, you know, ocean splitting faith. Just simply, yeah, I believe. I believe. He took the penalty of sin, but the cross isn't just about something that was taken from us. It was about something that was given to us. You see, in the moment of the cross, our penalty, our shame was taken, but God gave us the gift of righteousness. It was credited to our proverbial spiritual account. Look at me, which means this, that when God sees us after the moment of decision simply to believe, God now sees me not through the lens of my mistakes, not through the lens of my failures, not through the lens of comparison, not through the lens of anything else but the lens of who Jesus is. Which means he's given us the gift of righteousness. Holy cow, that is way better than your amening. And that's why I'm terrified in this series that people won't take it seriously. Because many of us live life carrying a cloak of shame and condemnation because we don't realize that God gave us the gift of righteousness. Wow. Which means he sees us through the lens of a hope. In the future, he sees us through the lens of, oh, my God, that's my son. That's my daughter. He declares you innocent. Here's another way to say that perfection, perfect righteousness discourages you. Comparative righteousness deceives you, and imputed righteousness defines you. Say, man, you are a new creation, a new creation, and you stand in that righteousness. Let me submit to you one more righteousness to think through today, and that's number four, practical righteousness, practical righteousness, and this means making a practice, listen, making a practice of aligning my life with his standards. The word practice is essential here. It doesn't mean that I'm without fault, I never make mistakes again, but I'm just practicing aligning my life with his standards. It's the continual action, if you will, of putting off the old clothes of our habits and desires so that we align with God's standard for our life. But we don't just put off the old habits and off the old desires. We actually have to put on the new attributes of who Christ is. A lot of times we think, well, man, if I just get rid of the old, I'm good. No, we've got to get rid of the old and adopt the new. Look at what Ephesians says. It says, throw off your old sinful nature. I love this. And your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, and deception, and instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. In other words, listen, it's time to step by step, day by day, and for some of us, moment by moment, remove the old way and align our lives with what God has. But here's the thing, if I say yes to Jesus, the Spirit that is inside of me will give me the strength to stand. 
That's why Paul said, in his strength and his might, just stand. Just stand. So here's the question for you today. What are the things that are distracting you from aligning with God's trail for your life? What are the decisions that have been made? What are the choices perhaps you're currently making that are a distraction from not your standard but God's standard for your life? All too often, I think we place boulders in the path that God has for us. And all of us have different struggles, but the enemy knows the playbook of our life. For some of us, it could be a habitual addiction to pornography and secretly at night, we're clicking away. For others, it could be a habitual addiction to gossip, slander, and a judgmental attitude. For some of us, it could be holding on to unforgiveness. But you don't know what they did to me, Pastor Kerry. You're right, I don't. I don't. I know it's painful. You don't understand. You're right, I don't. But that's becoming a distraction. You might be able to see the safari guide, and you might know the truth, but you're not aligned with the trail, and you don't realize it, but there's a lion on the other side of that hill just waiting for you to step across the threshold and destroy your life. Wait a minute, I didn't do this thing. It was done to me, I know, but if you just choose forgiveness, I'm not asking you to accept poor behavior or to be an advocate for stupid choices, but just choose forgiveness. It's become a boulder in the trail that God lays for your life. What's the distraction? I don't know. And what I love about the way that the Holy Spirit works is that we come into a room like this and all of us have our own journeys, right? All of us have our own shortcomings. All of us have our stories and our hang-ups and our hurts and our habits. And I don't have to know, but God does. And here's the way that the Holy Spirit works is he'll come in and just kind of tap on the door of our heart and say, hey, why don't we just adjust that right there? Now, sometimes we hear that through the filter of condemnation, that that right there, that problem, that issue, it's the way I've always been, it's who I've always been, and nothing is ever going to change, but that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit for you. That's called condemnation. And the way that God works is he says, hey, that right there, let's make an adjustment. It's not who you are. It's not who you were created to be. Why? I've redefined you through Christ's righteousness. Man, that was better than your amen. Goodness. Think about that. I made some seriously poor choices as a believer in Jesus. And I thought it was going to define me for the rest of my life. But God doesn't see me the way that I see myself sometimes. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. So what are the distractions? You choose. God never says you will walk this way, talk this way, live this way. He says, hey, I'll show you the way, but you choose. Like the safari guide. Come on. The great thing is he's infinitely patient. I'm a high-maintenance follower of Jesus, so it's, some of you understand what I'm saying. He's like, well, I got time. I'm ready when you are. Come on. 
Watch out. There's, you're about to stumble. It's going to hurt. Just get going, man. But don't, no, no, just let it go. Come on. I got that one. Do you feel what I'm saying today? Here's maybe three statements I'd love for you to remember. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. Say that with me. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. One more time. Know the truth. Remove the old. Walk in righteousness. Let's remove the distractions. That's what it looks like to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So that I can stand. How many of you would just say, you know what? There's some distractions in the trail that God's blazing for me. Would you just raise your hand? Come on. Thank you for being honest. Hands all over. Can I, can I pray for us? You don't have an option. I'm going to anyways. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes one minute? God, what, what an amazing God you are. God, the truth is we put distractions in the path and the trail that you've blazed for us. We don't want that anymore. And, and you know where we're at. You know what we struggle with. But God, you've redefined us through the righteousness of Christ. So we thank you for that now. Would you strengthen us? God, sometimes we just don't have the faith for it. But God, like the disciples pray, would you just give us the faith? Help us to believe. And God, we don't have the answers. If we did, we wouldn't still be here. So sometimes we just need your answers and your truth and what you want and what you have for us. So just help us. We need you now. In Jesus' name. Hey, everybody look at me for one minute. I, just, I want to talk to a few of you who are here that they may not be sure what it is that you believe in. And again, it's okay. But I want to tell you, this, this whole concept, this whole idea has a starting point. And it's simply saying yes to Jesus. Not church membership. Not eradicating your past. Not perfect attendance at church. Just saying yes to Jesus. He did all the heavy lifting. You don't have to have more faith. You just got to believe. Step across the starting line of this journey of righteousness. And some of you are here today, you've never made that decision with no embarrassment, no getting out of your seat. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and I want to challenge you right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart, maybe even a small whisper. I just want to challenge you, if you've never made this decision, just today, right where you're at, would you pray this prayer with me? And hey, look at me for one moment. Some of us in this room have been flirting with our we know the truth, and we see the safari guide, but we've been living a different life. Today's the day to align your life, your steps, your walk with him. If you're here and that's you, maybe you prayed this prayer a long time ago. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but if you, that's you, I want to challenge you where you're seated to pray this prayer with me and recommit, make that statement of faith again. And let's realign our life with God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, almost finished here. Nobody looking around. So maybe you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, or you're here and it's time to pray this prayer for the first time in a long time. Just make this prayer simple, a statement of faith in your own heart. Just say, God, I know you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. In fact, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? And just make this statement your own. 
Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.